My name is Paul Kersey. How's my wife? I'm sorry. She died a few minutes ago, Mr. Kersey. Any chance of catching these men? There's a chance, sure. Just a chance. I'd be less than honest if I gave you more hope, Mr. Kersey. This is Paul Kersey. This is the story of a man who decided to clean up the most violent town in the world. Listen to the Ralph. Give me the money. He begins where all the super cops leave off. Bugging has gone down by how much, sir? Nine fifty a week to four seventy. He reported last week. You understand? Not so many people know that. And uh, you want to keep it that way, huh? Oh no, we have to keep it that way. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 41 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are discussing the 1979 Michael Winner film Death Wish, starring Charles Bronson. Thomas, can you read for us the synopsis? Absolutely. All right. Death Wish, 1974. The New York City architect becomes a one-man vigilante squad after his wife is murdered by street punks in which he randomly goes out and kills would-be muggers on the mean streets after dark. All right. I guess I'll ask you, since this was my choice, what did you think about Death Wish, Daniel? Since you've seen Uh, this before, right? Yeah, I'd seen it once before. I kind of didn't really remember much of it. Um, I remember the the rape scene being very uncomfortable. Yeah. but beyond that, I didn't really remember much of it. And going into it, it, it's interesting that we're watching this as part of our revenge uh, coverage or whatever. Uh, it, it, I feel like it complements the movie Nobody pretty well um, yeah. in the sense that they're both kind of about this uh, revenge fantasy uh, that is, it's more about like lashing out at people who do harm, lashing out at a violent world than it yeah. is about, like, revenge, necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this one, it's like, as a movie, it's I feel like it's pretty competent, but um, ideologically, it seems pretty... It is way more extreme than nobody in terms of that sort of vigilante fantasy uh, oh, in a yeah. way that is kind of a huge problem (laughs) Uh, yeah the word problematic was definitely coming up (laughs) frequently uh, while watching this but uh yeah give give me your thoughts what did you think so the way that you felt while watching mank is how i felt while watching death wish i was sort of like kind of taken aback by my choice here's here's my list my list of thoughts in the first like 10 15 minutes or so number one oh no my pick is racist two (laughs) Oh no, this movie, this movie ruined Jeff Goldblum for me. Three, oh, yeah. oh no, he's going to take revenge out on only black people. Four, oh no, they're, jer- they're joking about urban concentration camps five minutes into this movie. Me, number five, me as a black man renting this movie with my own money is the equivalent of giving a donation to the NRA. I feel like her six. I feel like Herbie Hancock was held at gunpoint while making this movie. I'm so disappointed. I I was expecting something more flashy or something from his composition, but it just didn't do it for me. And then yeah, seven. I felt like I was as I was watching this. I felt like Clint Eastwood was spiritually watching this movie in another in the world as well. <laughs> um, well, it's funny that you mentioned Clint Eastwood because at one point he was considered for the role. 
I absolutely believe it because yeah, this yeah. is like that conservative old man dad fantasy uh, which gets mentioned and nobody's like oh if someone did that to me what would i do and it's yeah that that th- that theoretical situation and yeah it's just uh it just it, it has so many issues with it and it is saying yeah uh, revenge in this vigilante way is the solution and just go out into the street and just kill people randomly and just literally be judge jury and executioner if it's on the poster i kind of i was just like i don't know exactly what i was expecting but yeah i was sort of taken aback just by how clean cut it was just this older white guy just going into the streets and just killing black people yeah or did he was it only black people was there ever was, a white person there was like there's the first incident at the like the water basically yeah yeah where he like he like kind of like your lured, man or whatever yeah he kind of like lures this guy down to like this part of the park where he can like be by himself with and then yeah he pulls a gun out on him and then he shoots that guy then he goes home and vomits because you know he he is yeah, he, the horror <laughs> of killing a white man he, yeah he does have <laughs> that he is a, a bleeding heart liberal they do mention multiple times in the movie he's a conscientious objector and that he's yeah. not into the the korean war that he was drafted into but at the end yeah it's like the town is is like supportive of it muggings are mm-hmm. down people are taking to the streets he's inspired the people he's the vigilante he's like this superhero and it's yeah yeah it's just some bullshit it's like a weird I was, batman thing <laughs> yeah i was i was really frustrated by the end of it yeah but, but like i guess we're, i don't want to get too quick into spoilers but yeah the I ending mean, of this, this movie is even more fucking frustrating <laughs> i i feel like we could let's just the the the, the movie does the, there's barely an ending to spoil i feel like um, yeah, yeah. So I feel like we should just get into it. Like, yeah, just like the fact that the cop basically is like, "I'll throw this gun in the river." You just like just go yeah. to another town, and then he goes to fucking Chicago. It's just like, yeah. oh my god, it feels <laughs> like they're planting him into another environment so that he it's can like just he's do get, his own thing. It's like he's getting reassigned. It's like, yeah, it's yeah like, wherever, exactly. wherever you send me, it's like I need to be in the most urban black. They could have sent him. They could have sent him to that town that he was like working on with where he saw the cowboy show and stuff, which I was assuming was the setup. Yeah. So he's going to go to Tucson and, and I don't know if that happens in the other four death wish movies that came out in the seventies, but I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, so my, my familiarity with Charles Bronson goes back to in high school. I was really into this band called Charles Bronson. <laughs> It's okay. like a this like hardcore punk band, and they used to put um, sound bites from his movies on their albums. And one of their albums came with like a full video of like live performances cross cut with like footage of his movies. And okay. I'm pretty sure like all the Death Wish, Death Wish movies are just him running around <laughs> cities shooting people. There's one where he's like running around with a machine gun while a guy is running alongside him, feeding him ammo. And okay. <laughs> it's like a fucking like chain gun or something like that. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. And I did have time. I probably want to talk about this later in our conversation. But I also I watched the remake too, and it's interesting seeing oh, really okay. so, yeah some of the differences between this movie, which came out in '74, and you know seeing the 2018 version, just being so much more aware of these things was hmm. just a little bit enlightening just to see just how much more woke quote-unquote it is just because there is some moments where it it tries to it attempts to acknowledge yeah it tends to acknowledge the the complexities of the fact yeah the the complexities of the situation which does happen in this movie in a scene that just yeah i think i know what you're talking about but go ahead go ahead 
yeah, the dinner the dinner party scene where uh-huh, he's like yeah. wandering through this dinner party and they're like there's these two like upper class white people talking they're they're like you know he like this vigilante he's racist because he's only killing blacks and they're just like well yeah. like basically she says like well if there were more white muggers there he'd be more white victims which is like. A really insensitive way to yeah, to, it's to, it's uh, pulling out like the Ben Shapiro stats, like yeah, all of the, yeah, the shit that like every racist uses to try and justify their racism. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten to the fact that like the inciting incident of this movie, which is not like a funny thing, deals with sexual assault and is really fucking brutal. And I was really surprised with like how far they go with it, how much they actually show you of this inciting incident of violence. Yeah, it's and, fucking terrible. Yeah, and I mentioned this movie ruined Jeff Goldblum for me in joking, but yeah, it's like Jeff Goldblum is like the leader of this like group of Nazis basically. It's like one of them is a skinhead and they're in the movie they're credited as freaks, but like they're spray painting they spray paint a swastika inside his house as they're like terrorizing. In case you didn't know that they were bad, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, and basically they just disappear. After this moment, they're they're gone for the rest of the movie. He never kills the men who did this to his family, yeah. Yeah, no Nazis get punched or anything like that. So there's no, like, redemption to that. And it, that that really upset me because I was just like, damn. It like, is and- interesting <laughs> that it is, like, three white men who kickstart this whole thing. Yeah. it's And it's like, yeah, the fact that they're credited as freaks inside of the credits, I was like, oh, you guys are going to pull punches there. Yeah, when they're clearly, softer. like what they're doing is fucking heinous and like yeah it's is really bad and yeah yeah, him, po- yeah go ahead that, that's <laughs> no just like yeah just that whole that whole scene of just the incident that sets off our character paul on this path of violence is very extreme and it's one of those scenes where it's like i don't know if it's entirely necessary just to show yeah. us like when they're all painting her and stuff like that yeah like, yeah it's the, for some reason, the spray paint to me was a very disturbing, um, I guess, feature of that or a detail. Yeah, yeah, definitely a weird detail. And then also her like crawling to the phone to call the police yeah. after is another just like I don't know. Maybe it, they are very good at just selling just the how deeply effective and horrifying this can be to yeah. someone's psyche. And it's also like, do we need that? Because it's like. When I was watching this, I was thinking about Promising Young Woman and how, like, that movie is a rape-revenge movie where you never see the rape. And this is, in a way, kind of a rape-revenge movie. He is getting revenge on behalf of his wife and daughter. Um, It's kind of a woman-in-the-fridge movie, too. Are you familiar with that trope? Uh, Does it have something to do with just taking the agency away from, like, the wife? Woman of the Freaks, I think it originates with, like, The Flash or something like that. Some superhero comic where the superhero comes home to find out his wife has been killed and her body was stuffed in a fridge. And so, yeah, it completely removes the... It's violence on a woman who is important to our male hero to drive the male hero forward. Um, And the woman doesn't really... Yeah, she has no agency. Um, Yeah, it's fucking such a bummer that, like these two characters that could be a really healthy contrast to what this movie is trying to go for are just like sort of just silenced and removed from this narrative, especially with the daughter. It's just like, she gets the worst completely of it. Traumatized. She completely traumatized, gets the worst of it in the assault. 
and then continues to like be strung along with like these medical like things where it's like oh no she's comatose she's and now hanging she's out with mute. nuns and shit like, yeah and then she gets like committed to this mental and it's just like come on like it's de- like it's definitely written by a man who's just like when something like this happens these are this is the laundry list of awful things that are going to happen and just like it just yeah it put a really bad taste in my mouth and I was just like damn it like I was I guess I don't know what I was looking for into this movie but yeah it definitely gave me something a lot more cynical than what I was looking for yeah yeah it's super fucking messy and it's kind of the nun thing is now that I'm thinking about that like we see nuns right before the the rape scene Mm-hmm. Um, they're like out in the street when the our, our quote unquote freaks uh, enter the building, and then she, when she's traumatized, she ends up back in sort of their. Uh, it, it's like a, it feels like it's supposed to be mental health services, but it's nuns. I don't know if they're yeah. really medical professionals, <laughs> but um, yeah, which did. <laughs> Go ahead. I was gonna say it feels like this like ham fisted metaphor for like purity and stuff like that yeah and, like, yeah cleanliness like, and, yeah you know. it adds just that whole thing about like this is about your values being attacked and so yeah. like your daughter's virtue is gone your your spouse is gone therefore taking violence to the street is the only reasonable solution and, and yeah it's just uh, it, there are some moments where like i have to g- uh, give some props for the visuals, I think it's one of those movies from the like the late mid seventies that just like looks very distinctive. Or you know, it's set in New York City. It's set in, like we, there's this detour in Arizona that's really interesting mm-hmm. and like peculiar. We're spending some time with like these really dark rooms inside of like the gun range and everything. I actually is messy as what this character represents and, and what he inspires Paul to do. I really enjoy the character Ames that like his like his contact in Arizona who's just mm. like he like sort of just like, oh you ever shot a gun before here like yeah. put this in your hand wash wash the kick it's going it's going to hit the ceiling like that i i just appreciate cuz i like i i know people like that in my family who just are very aggressive in the way that they talk and so i just i i appreciate just the, i guess the contrast the fish out of water thing and also just the acknowledgement of like oh yeah like we're getting this machismo from the old West a little yeah, bit this too. Is a like, Western in an urban setting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about like, bringing like order to a lawless space. Yeah. Yeah. You call it, they frequently just like bash New York city. It's like, Oh, you're going back to that swamp. You're going back to that toilet. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like it's just very thorough with it's just ridiculing the lower class and just, yeah, it just seems to be really heavy towards that. Um, there's also this character of the son-in-law, which I find really irritating, but I, but the point of the son-in-law is to draw contrast against the father where, okay. So the reason I find this character annoying is he keeps calling him dad yeah. <laughs> and it's like, he's a grown man. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I've ever called my father-in-law dad. <laughs> I, I feel like it's yeah. on one hand, I can see doing it to like acknowledge like, Hey, I accept you as my family. But he calls him dad all the fucking time in this movie. And it's, it's like, you're, all, yeah. you're a grown man. What are you doing? Yeah, the screenplay has him. It's very frequent where he's like, I don't know, dad. Like, it's just, it's just every single line. And but, yeah, it makes him seem like this really wimpy dude. But it, I feel like the point of this character is to contrast. Uh, Char- I'm just going to keep calling him Charles Bronson because I, gotcha. I didn't write yeah. down the character name. Gotcha. Uh, to contrast Charles Bronson against the son as a man of action versus a man who sits back because he believes removing himself uh, 
from this violent um, environment is what a civilized person does. He even uses the word civilized. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of it ties back into the Western thing, bringing civilization to a lawless town. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really odd. And so the scene I'm like really obsessed with. I, I want to pick your brain a bit about the Arizona portion because there's a, a part where basically there's he's like giving this whole thing about this is gun country and it's like this is a place where if a, if a mugger comes up on you, he's like we're gonna, we're gonna he's gonna leave with his ass whooped basically. And there's this clip of this on YouTube where it's just like this three minutes of the movie. And I I warn you, like, it should check out that YouTube comment. Sorry, check out the YouTube video and, like, look at the comments just because this movie is, like, clearly inspiring people who just yeah. want to enact gun violence on uh, on people they deem who are other than them. And I just want to say, what did you think about just um, just this, like, kind of, like, detour of the movies? Because it just it feels like he's getting like sort of forcibly sort of taken out of this situation with his wife and his daughter and sort of getting like put on timeout. So to speak, I just want to know what he thought about this detour. I, I just, I, that was the one part of the movie that legitimately sort of took me by surprise. Yeah. At first I was a little, I, yeah, I was surprised by it because I didn't quite know where it was going. It's like, okay, suddenly we're dealing with architecture stuff and yeah. is the movie trying to, is it trying to lead us to believe that this was going in a different direction? Um, mm. but then we get the cowboy fight and which is obviously like his inspiration for, you know, wanting to get back at people. He's getting supercharged by violence. At first I was like, why don't they just show him watching a movie of this? Like, why does it have to happen at this location? Yeah. But then they tie in this character Ames where he's bringing in the gun. Uh, they go to the shooting rain and we get this interesting scene where he's talking about, he's telling a story about his mother and his father. Now, his father was killed in a hunting accident. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his father was a gunman. He was a hunter. He was killed in a hunting accident. He says his mother was the other side of the coin, and she won the toss, and so he never touched a gun again. Um, so it's just like he has to go to this other environment to find the inspiration he needs to bring violence to his original environment. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, at first I was a little... I wasn't sure how I felt about it just in terms of, like, cleanliness of storytelling, but it serves its purpose. I'm fine with it. Yeah, as you were just mentioning that and, yeah, bringing up the thing about the... about He, like, has a story where he talks about the mother, his mother and father, but there's a moment right before that where he's like, oh, yeah, it's like, were you, like, like what did you... Like, you're a good shot, and he's, like, trying to explain, like, mm -hmm. how, like how you know about this stuff, and he's like, oh, like, I was a CEO and a medical officer... And then he's like, oh, you were a command. I so was a commanding CEO. Officer, yeah. He's like, you're a commanding officer. He's like, no, it's a conscientious objector. And he's like, oh, yeah. that's like pretty surprising that you're here doing this stuff. And then also, I just had a, a quick thought. I wonder if this movie is trying to make a point by having the character that is enacting this violence be an architect and be someone who is designing urban spaces and designing, hmm. like, I don't know, environments. And is he trying to build lower income housing at the beginning? I don't or know. Is about he just aware? Because, like, he gets yeah. called a bleeding-heart liberal for acknowledging that poor people exist and that poor yeah, people, yeah. like, are suffering. Yeah. Um, and and he, like, it. makes... And he, like, has room for extra houses in his plan and still isn't, like, doesn't compromise any yeah, of the hills Yeah, he doesn't want to bring urbanism to Tucson or wherever. Yeah, yeah, the line about, like, you don't want to hear your neighbor flushing the toilet or whatever. And Yeah. 
<laughs> just yeah, just there's so many sharp observations about what like what it's like to be living in poverty, which is like, yeah, this movie is, is like super searing. And yeah, I just when you're talking about that, it was making me think, yeah, like he's designing urban spaces. I feel like it, there is something there just with the connection of you know just who, what they're trying to say with this character. Yeah, I feel like the movie. I mean, ultimately, it is. It it feels. It's very right wing, <laughs> very yeah. like a reactionary movie, but at the same time, so so this movie takes a soft approach to the police, where it's like the police are seen to be doing their jobs; they're just not able to do it very well because that's just the nature of the job. Like he's never mad at the police for failing to find the men who assaulted his wife and daughter. Um, and however, what this movie ends up being is. He pursues vigilante justice, and he inspires other people to commit vigilante justice. He basically inspires community defense because the police are incapable of doing their jobs, which nowadays is kind of a left-wing take. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a little – it feels a little politically messy to me. Yeah. So in this movie – the way that it's getting portrayed is there's like a few conversations that like I mentioned that happen like at the dinner party and like, his, or his boss sort of mentions it when they go out together. Uh, there's billboards in the town that are like basically have like just images and or posters of magazine covers that are running articles mm-hmm. about vigilante justice that seem to be in a positive light in the 2018 version. The way that that is distilled is we have two radio personalities. We have, one, we have Sway from Sway in the Morning, who is a real person, real radio DJ, real black person, and he's having his debate with his community. And then there's an actor who's portraying an Alex Jones type of character who's just going on like rants about like, yeah, this is exactly what we need. It's like this is like it's just sounding exactly like Alex Jones, and yeah, it's just it's a really interesting like both sides of the fence type of, or sorry, both sides of the. Uh, political, you know, party discourse or whatever, the left-wing, right, white-wing version, but it, they're both sort of seen as like, I don't know, uh, I don't know, Sway, I don't know, Sway's lines are just really interesting because he's just like not supportive of this, but then his black guests are supportive of it, which is similar to the old black woman in the 74 version where yeah. she's like, I'm not going to get mugged anymore. And it's like, yeah, there's there's some interesting connections between the two. Yeah, because it's like, I feel like this could be, you could totally make this movie the left-wing movie if it's like, all right, well, the cops, fuck cops. We don't need fucking cops. We just need each other, and we just need to watch out for each other. Like, this movie goes really soft on the cops, and that's the only thing preventing it from having that reading. Because ultimately, the cops don't do shit. Yeah, it's (laughs) almost more critical of doctors in the medical system as opposed to the police. Like, the police let him, like, totally let him go and have him do his thing at the end. Wait, how is this a how is this a criticism of doctors? It felt in the first opening moments, it felt like it was all out of his control. He sort of oh. shows up in this point, and they're like, "It is basically the movie is heavily implying, as does the second one. Sorry, the remake, where there's like after they arrive at the hospital and he's not there, it's like they're doing things without his consent, essentially. And they're sort of like, well, like now she's in a coma, and he's like trying to get information, trying to find out. The hospital's really crowded." And so it's just, it feels just critical in a way that they made the hospital feel very chaotic and out of his control as opposed to with the police station. It's like he they can't do anything, but they're sort of encouraging him to 
by not not directly encouraging him, but basically saying, "Here, like you can. We're not going to stop you from doing yeah. your vigilante thing." But at the hospital, it was just like, "Yeah, all chaotic, all out of his control." And there is that scene where he's talking to the son-in-law, where the son-in-law is saying, "Like, oh, the doctors." recommend that like she gets away for a while like me and her are gonna go off somewhere and he's like i'll come too and he's like uh he's like no you remind her of that day and i I think he says something about like oh you and your doctors are like you need to find better doctors or something like that yeah there's yeah definitely a line in that in uh, their argument about it yeah and he also gets stabbed in the shoulder and nurses himself back to health so because he knows better and honestly, I would give a soft recommendation to the 2018 version because in that one, Bruce Willis is a doctor. And so, like, there, there's some really funny moments that happen in that movie where it's just like, oh, shit, they're playing up this, like, he's a doctor, but he's he's kind of switching sides a little bit and going yeah, going He's destroying rogue. bodies instead of repairing them. <laughs> Legit. Oh, man. You, dead on. There is a montage where it's like he's fixing guns on one side of the screen and on the other side of the screen, he's like sewing up the body. So you basically hit the nail on the head. Um, would you say the remake is better than the original? Overall, like, yeah. Like, but like I say, it's a soft recommendation. It's overall, it's still, it ha- it's like, it's complicated. It's messy. It does not really handle the gun topic very cleanly but i think it's worth watching just for like a comparison and a recontextualize recontextualization of it is it another situation of like why does this exist <laughs> like yeah like we don't need a death wish remake if you're not gonna yeah. do something special i guess yeah if you're gonna like sort of softball the politics a little bit yeah. and also have like yeah i think they treat the daughter's character far better in the movie I will say that. So it is honestly good. just watch Miss Forty Five. <laughs> like Miss Forty Five. I brought this up when we watched uh, Promising Young Woman. It's about a woman who uh, I think she's mute, and so she gets raped. And I think I, I want to say she gets raped more than once. And like on the second occasion, she ends up killing her rapist. And then after that, she goes out around town like at night, wandering the streets at night in parks alone. Uh, you know, trying to lure out sex pests so that she can kill them. And the movie makes a point of showing that, like, not every person she's trying to kill is actually bad. (laughs) Like, but, like, yeah, like, she just, she's just fucking killing men. (laughs) And, like, uh, and it's, I don't know, the movie does a good job of, it it made me feel like, yeah, go for it. (laughs) Like, totally. uh, I don't know. And it's, like, very stylish. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same, you know, 70s New York. Uh, streets are lawless and we're not going to take it anymore sort of situation. Yeah, I guess I was I was looking for more style, more 70s stuff in this. There's the really nice funeral scene where it's just like drenched in snow. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like just the overall, the noir qualities of the, just the, grit, the gritty New York streets is definitely very effective. Just the fact that it's the 70s, it's shot on film. It just has that grit to it just naturally from the grain. So I, I appreciate that. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I Maybe I just wanted the soundtrack to be a little bit more eerie and strange. There are some nice moments, some nice, like, musical stabs. Because, you know, Herbie Hancock is iconic musician and composer. and I don't know. I just I thought the, the, the product would have been a little bit more, yeah, I guess it, it, it is exploitative. It is exploitative. But, yeah, I thought it would be a little bit more flashier and a little bit more 
fun, but yeah, this is much more just like realistic, raw, like movies that inspired our dads in the wrong ways. And so, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so some final uh, notes. Charles Bronson once said of this movie, I certainly don't advocate anyone taking the law into their own hands. I don't think that the film advocates that either. If my films have a lesson, <laughs> it's that violence doesn't pay. My opinion <laughs> is that violence only breeds violence. I don't think that came through. <laughs> that does not get not across. At all. At all. Um, some more stuff I got here. Dino De Laurentiis and Paramount originally wanted to call the film The Sidewalk Vigilante because they thought a movie with death in the title was a deterrent and would put audiences off. However, audiences loved the film so much that Paramount raised the ticket price from three fifty to $4. Until then, Ooh. only The Godfather and The Great Gatsby had been as expensive. So huh. it was a smash, smash hit. So that's four dollars on a Friday night. So that's probably one fifty on a Sunday morning if we're talking matinee prices, right? Yeah, maybe. Oh, man, <laughs> those were the good old days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can see Death Wish for a dollar fifty. Nothing was wrong with the seventies. Um, Any uh, closing closing thoughts? Uh, no, I think it's just fascinating. So we like started this off by like talking about part shampoos vengeance trilogy we still haven't gone to miss vengeance the last entry but the first two entries are basically pretty zero sum getting the message across that revenge is something that it is not worth pursuing it is a self-destructive pursuit it is self-destructive it is going to no no happy endings allowed is going to be bad across the board while this american revenge franchise which they've made six movies of yeah is basically suggesting (laughs) suggesting that That's my if, Bronson yeah, That's great. That's that's really fantastic. Yeah, this is my first um, Charles Bronson movie, and I was yeah. I, I also I was not sure what to expect with his performance, and it's yeah, very quiet and muted and squinty, and yeah, he he didn't not very intimidating of a person. But yeah, I just think it's fascinating that this American franchise is tailing us the exact reverse. Like yeah, revenge is the answer. It's encouraged. Yeah. If you get caught, the police are just going to throw your guns into the river, and they're going to send you two towns over, and it's going to be okay. And so, yeah, yeah it's just into another violent space for you to yeah, I pacify. I regret so deeply giving my money to this movie. <laughs> All right. All right. So that wraps things up for Death Wish. What have you been watching lately? Uh, this week, like I say, I watched, like I said, sorry, like I said, I watched the Death Wish remake. I also watched the Old Boy remake. I did a double feature. Oh, yeah. I did a remake double feature. I did uh, Death Wish 2018, and then I did the Old Boy from 2010. I just wanted to just, so you didn't watch all of Old Boy. I watched all of it, and so I just wanted to just point out some things I thought were interesting in the differences. It's not a good movie. It's really, really bad. Um, Elizabeth Olsen is like the love interest. It's a really hard watch to like watch her and Josh Brolin interact in that movie as it, okay. as it creeps towards the third act, knowing the information that's going to happen. Yeah. It's one of the most painful sex scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but yeah, there's a few things. So when he's locked up, there's a lot more time spent before he gets locked inside of the prison, but when he's in there, they're giving him vodka with every single meal, which yeah, I thought was because he's an alcoholic. Was particularly sadistic. Did you get to the part with the like the family of rats? No. There's this part where he like befriends his mother rat. The mother rat has babies, and he's like, "Oh, you have babies!" And then they disappear, and then his captors feed them to him. I, it was just so fucking oh, sadistic. Okay. 
Um, he's in there 10 years longer. He gets out. He's in there from 1993 to 2013. And I found this really fascinating because Spike Lee includes two moments of crucial black history <laughs> in those moments. One, he includes uh, the 2004 Hurricane Katrina is something that happens on TV that he sees. Mm-hmm. And then... We get we don't see Obama's first election. We see Obama's re-election in 2013, which hadn't happened yet, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, which I thought was like I was like, all right, Spike Lee, like, I, like I'm, if you're gonna make an old boy remake, he's gonna find a way to make it black as fuck. And I'm like, I just had to like applaud subtly because I was like, okay, like just find find a way to to like interject his like his style. But yeah, like everything besides that is just like such a, a really really bad remake they take out like the fun like clue thing like there's no like purple boxes or letters in the Mm. last bit of the movie like yeah instead of like the poetic like sister falling into the river scene as like her suicide it's like a dad killing his entire family with a shotgun and so yeah it's just the entire thing is just like it's an atrocity daniel an atrocity (laughs) and so yeah i i yeah, can't believe I stepped through the whole fucking thing. Yeah, <laughs> so, it yeah. sounds like why it like did he not understand why old boy was good? <laughs> it's uh, it's really weird. There's also like this the the fucking finale of old boy in the original is is a takes place in this really beautiful like South Korean like loft with like there's like water yeah. and it's, like, these little lakes and everything. And it's like this one is like a cramped New York apartment. I was like, you guys just like didn't have the budget to have anything inside of this room besides it just being like a penthouse with like a, a, a couch. And yeah, just um, the guy from District 9 is the villain. I forget his name. Uh, Charlton Copley. Yeah. I forget what that actor's name. Yeah, he plays the the villain. And so, yeah, it's just it's just a, a really, really strange movie. Um so yeah, I did that. I watched that, um, and then I watched all of Invincible, and then I um, oh, you watched all of it? Shit. Yeah, I watched the first episode and was like, all right, I think I just need to, to binge this. It felt <laughs> yeah. I, it, I got that bug. I was like, I need to binge this, and so I don't know how far you've. I, I it haven't now. watched any since I last talked about it. I'm only two episodes in. <laughs> oh Jesus! Okay. <laughs> well, damn. Yeah, it's it's great. I I enjoyed it. I rather enjoyed it a lot. Um, but yeah, those that's what I've been watching. What have you been watching? Um, so this week I watched Sasquatch, a documentary series on Hulu. It is about okay. this man who worked on a marijuana farm. Um, I want to say in like the 70s or 80s, 70s, I think. And one night he's, you know, just sitting, sitting uh, in the house of the, the person who owns the farm. And someone comes in and they say that three men were mutilated out there. Uh, in the farm in the dark and he swears that it was a sasquatch um (laughs) and so it this man all these years later has decided to investigate it he he is he is an investigative journalist he has um you know entered like a, a white supremacist organization and like did coverage of that at one point he has like infiltrated all sorts of like different spaces and like okay to, to do his investigations and this thing this story has always stuck with him this night of witnessing this man tell of discovering <laughs> these three mutilated bodies and he's always wondered like what the fuck was that about <laughs> and yeah. so this this series it's only three episodes it's all about just him trying to get to the bottom of that um that so it's it's an interesting watch uh, because it dives into a little bit of the politics about marijuana, 
Um, and it dives into um, like racism of, you know, towards Mexicans who came to uh, work on these farms a lot of times. Yeah. Um, and then so I watched that and I have started watching QAnon Into the Storm, which is the QAnon docu, docu- series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, oh fucking boy. <laughs> it is. Uh, am I going to have to watch this? You're the second person <sighs> in my circle who's it's... watched it recently. So I'm, Emily wanted to watch it. And so I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Throw it on. And she, she threw it on like probably 10 minutes in she's looking at her phone and i'm just like eyes glued <laughs> to the screen like holy sh- like how do we solve this problem like I, I, I don't understand there's a woman who says nothing would surprise me at this point because i'm covering people i'm covering pedophiles who eat babies like even if the world was flat it wouldn't surprise me and it's like yeah have you considered that you're being duped that none of this shit's real. Would that surprise you? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's incredible. I, I don't know yeah, how we solve this sc- problem. Yeah. That's a scary one. That's a, a really scary one. It not the same level, but I watched like the first half of sea spiracy like a few weeks ago. C-spiracy? And that was, yeah, that's one. It's basically just about like overfishing, sharking and like whaling and all of those really atrocious things that go on in the ocean in like the southern you know, like the region of like southeast asia and like those that part of okay. the world but also all over the world they're, yeah. they're basically saying but it's one of those problems where they're like it's so big it's like how it's like everyone has to stop eating fish it's like yeah. it's one of those things where the problem like is so warming. big yeah yeah it's like it's just a, a massive fucking thing so i think we're doomed yeah. uh <laughs> i don't think there's any solving uh, people getting suckered by misinformation. So yeah, just need to live long enough to see Eternals, and we'll be fine. Yeah, we just. Oh yeah, what did you think of that trailer? Uh, look, really cool. I I like the mysticism and just yeah. I'm in. Tr- I'm really into ensemble cast. If they have like yeah, a nice chemistry, looks really really good. Like I say on the show a lot, Brian Tyree Henry. I'll watch mm-hmm. anything and, and I'll be there first day. Um, but yeah, just them just sort of being throughout the entire existence of the the Earth is an interesting concept. And you know they've lived through some of these disasters theoretically. So yeah, I don't it's know. Like, it's, why didn't they do anything? Is something they'll have to address, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's like they say that they were like hands off or like they're like helped, but like kind of in like it seems that like they're impartial a little bit. Yeah. They're like they're to kind of guide the hand, but not necessarily make any major decisions. So, what is it that results in them needing to break that oath, I guess, and actually become involved? Do you think it's a multiverse thing? Mm, eh, it could be. I think what's more likely it's. Yeah, probably a multiverse thing. Yeah, some some like an echo. Something happens in one universe and changes. Which is weird because <laughs> it's like it's it's weird because that feels like very deeply comic book shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, the concept of a multiverse. It's like comic booky as fuck stuff to explore, yeah. and then to have Chloe Zhao be the one to explore that seems really strange because her stuff feels so small, down to earth, just characters. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I felt like I was watching the, a trailer for a much more contemplative, like, yeah. it felt like one of those, like, that wave of artsy martial arts films that came out in the 2000s, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden mm, Dragon, like, yeah. at least, like, not necessarily the dope. vibe, 
but the sound and everything, I was like, oh yeah, it's like it's mysticism. Like they're they're using magic. They're waving their hands around a lot. It's I'm I'm always down for hand waving. It would be yeah. I had never considered like what is the crouching tiger of superhero? What does that look like? Um, that sounds yeah. fucking cool. <laughs> I think it'd be cool. I was thinking a lot about kung fu in that while watching Death Wish. I was like, I feel like I should have picked a kung fu movie or something kung along fu those lines. Kung fu revenge movie. Fuck. Yeah, I that's what. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was like. I wanted to like do an audible and be like, we should have you pick something and not not immediately finish this off yet because we only have one more movie to watch in the main franchise but if you wanted to throw something in there that could be a good i mean cleanser i'd totally be down i'm down to watch something after uh with sympathy for lady vengeance we could do a a kung fu revenge movie cool that sounds good because uh i'm pretty i i think this could be considered a revenge movie i'll i'll Call it right now. Have you ever seen Eight Diagram Fighter? <laughs> no, I haven't. But <sighs> it is but my Mac... favorite martial arts movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. Max mentioned this when I was in Los Angeles. He was like, "Daniel loves this movie, and <laughs> you should definitely watch it." So yeah, it Fuck is. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll get into it. I'm not. I'm gonna <laughs> hold back. I watched it uh, over Christmas with my parents, and uh, they fell asleep, <laughs> and it was just me, <laughs> um, and I was loving it. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but that's yeah. all good. So next right. week, ladies, I almost said Lady Snowblood. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, or is it just Lady Vengeance? I think it's just Lady Vengeance. Okay. Um, let me just, I want to make sure I get it right, so I'm going to take two seconds. I think it work. might be both, it's depending just, on the market. Yeah. I am, uh, sorry. Yes. So Wikipedia has both as the official. Some markets, yeah, Australia and Russia was Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. But yeah, that is our next movie, and that will be the last of the part shampoo Vengeance trilogy cool all right this has been episode 41 of vague zone if you would like to contact us you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com if you have questions comments or concerns or you just want to let us know what you think reach out to us if you want to tweet at us you can tweet at us at vague zone and we're on there all the time posting pictures and memes and all sorts of up-to-date movie news so join us in the conversation on there i've been your host one of your co-hosts thomas and i'm daniel And we'll catch you on the next one. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.